Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Good morning. It is an absolute delight to be with you this morning. It's my first visit to P's and G's, and I love what's here. I love this building, which is the best of the old and the new. I love what God is doing here, and I love the sense of his presence here. And I believe that God would want to say to you, he takes great delight in you. And the verse that I was drawn to as I was uh, preparing to come here was uh, the verse that was read to us, you will be like a well-watered garden in a sun-scorched land. Now, I realize that's not very seasonal, but it's not difficult for us to look back uh, and remember maybe our, our own garden, maybe a garden we visited that was bursting with color and beauty and variety and fruitfulness. And these words uh, that uh, Isaiah spoke uh, were spoken to the nation of Israel when they were in the time of judgment, that they had turned their backs on God and they were pursuing their own um, enjoyments, not so different from, from now. And it's a statement of God's intention for the nation and what he wanted to bring about. And it speaks to us both collectively and individually. And we see in the passage that was read to us a series of contrasts. Light will rise up in the darkness. There'll be a well-watered garden in a sun-scorched land. Ancient ruins will be built and restored. In other words, where everything is at its bleakest and least promising, God wants to come in and bless and restore and build up and bring life. And that's his nature. 
And this happens as we draw on God's resources, which enable us then to live out in God's ways, to walk humbly, to love mercy, to act justly. And many times in the Bible, we see water as a symbol of God's blessing. And in particular, we see often in the Bible water as a sign of God's Holy Spirit, a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. And I want to look at three images of the Holy Spirit that we see in the Bible that enable us to be God's transforming agents of his love and power. And the first one is life-giving water. Let me read this verse, John 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. This took place at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was an annual festival where people would gather together to remember the time when they were rescued as slaves out of Egypt. They lived in tents in the wilderness, and God said, I'm going to live with you in a tent, and he tabernacled with them. And uh, every year they would gather together to remember this, and each year at the festival, the priest would walk up the hill to the temple, and he would throw pitchers of water, and the people would watch the water tumbling down the hill. Now, we may think that's somewhat bizarre, but actually it was a symbol, a reminder to the people of a prophecy that had been given years before by the prophet Ezekiel. And as the people were watching this water cascading down the hill, they would be saying, we long for that day when we know again God's life, God's fruitfulness, God's abundance in our lives, because yet again they were living as slaves under the harsh Roman Empire this time. And they were longing for that renewing work. So going at the, the uh, picture that Ezekiel had all those years ago was of the, the temple in Jerusalem, wonderfully restored, and from under the threshold was flowing a river. And as the river got deeper and deeper and flowed out, it got to the Dead Sea where we know nothing lives. And in this picture, Ezekiel saw this river flowing into the Dead Sea and bringing an explosion of life. I find whenever I read this passage, and I won't read it now, but do read it, it's spine-tingling because in, this, in the river, which is salty and nothing grows, there's an explosion of fish of all kinds and fishermen aligning the sides of the banks, all eager to fish because there's so much there. Fruit trees are growing up where nothing lived. And it's an extraordinary picture of life bursting out where there was no life. That's the, the prophecy, that's the vision that Ezekiel had. And these people are remembering. And on this particular day, the last day of the festival, they'd been doing this for years, 
Jesus stood up and in a loud voice he said, If anyone thirst, let them come to me and out of their innermost being will flow those rivers of living water that flow out to the Dead Sea and bring this explosion of life. It must have been electrifying. I'd love to have been there. And what Jesus was saying was, I've come to fulfill that prophecy. You know, Jesus told his disciples he was going back to the Father after his death and resurrection, but he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would be that river of life flowing from us. And I would just want to say to all of us, never underestimate the power of what we carry. It's not that we feel powerful. We don't. But we carry something immensely powerful, the Holy Spirit given to all believers. Remember, it was said that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And it means that whenever we step out in faith in ordinary ways, not feeling powerful, but when we step out to pray with someone, to to give a word of encouragement, uh, to pray for somebody, the very life of Jesus is flowing through us to bless. And we are leaving deposits of God's glory. And I believe that one day in heaven, we will see Wow, what God did through very ordinary acts. So that's the first image, and I I want to say again, don't let any of us underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us in ordinary ways. But as we step out, heaven touches earth, and God releases his power. The second image of the Holy Spirit that we see in the Bible is at the baptism of Jesus, when a dove uh, rested on Jesus. And many artists like to portray this as a nice, white, fluffy dove. But a friend of ours, a theologian, uh, was speaking at a Pentecost service, and he wanted to do some research on this dove. And he found that actually the Greek word, I'm no Greek scholar, so here I go, but he he found that the the Greek word for dove here is peristera, which is actually a word used for the rock dove, not the nice fluffy white dove, but actually a rather dull-looking dove that looks more like a wood pigeon. And the natural habitat of this dove uh, is the desert, so it would be very uh, likely that this is the the dove that descended on the head of Jesus. And our friend decided to do a bit uh, further research to to find out more about uh, the ways of the rock dove. And he found that this rock dove delights to frequent such inhospitable places as dark caverns. This is what, um, this is what the uh, commentary said on, on these places. Many of the caverns are horribly gloomy and forbidding. The air smells dank and foul. The walls are dripping with unwholesome slime. I won't go on, but there is more. Um, 
And it's here that the dove, rock dove lays her eggs and brings about life. Don't you love that image? The Spirit of God goes into those dark places within us, those places of despair, those places of fear, those places that we have perhaps not told anyone about. And the Spirit of God goes there and brings about a wonderful healing and transformation. I can tell you that I wouldn't be here, standing up here, if I hadn't known many times the Spirit of God coming into those places in my own life where I felt abandonment and fear, and I've known his healing love at work. And I believe that the more that we are welcoming the Spirit of God into those places in our own lives, the more we become agents of his healing, transforming love in a community that is crying out for it. And very often when we are praying for others or we are receiving prayer, tears begin to fall because the Spirit of God is touching those dark, inhospitable places within us. And with the greatest gentleness, love, and power begins a transforming work in our lives that enable us to go out and pass it on. So that's the third, second image. And then the third image is that of the paraclete, again, a Greek unfamiliar word, which means helper. Uh, Jesus said uh, when he returned to the Father, but I will send to you the comforter. Some translators have advocate or counselor, but the overall word is paraclete. And the literal meaning of that is uh, the presence of Jesus when Jesus is absent. So the Spirit of God is the one who draws alongside us. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're on holiday. It's a sunny, warm day, and you decide to take a boat trip out. And so you go to the boat yard, and you take a little boat out, and you're just loving the space, the freedom, the sun on your cheeks, the breeze. You're daydreaming, you're loving it. When you suddenly are aware, you actually don't know where you are. And all around you is water. You don't know which direction to go on. Essentially, you're lost. Now, back at the boatyard, they realize you've been out for a long time. And they send out a little boat. And it comes to find you. It draws alongside you. It puts a rope beside you. It ties a rope to your boat and gently leads you back to the harbor. That's the work of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, who leads us back to the safety of the Father's heart. In the busyness of life, with all the pressures that we're under, we quickly lose sight of that. God seems different, distant. Our hearts get cold and Times we feel lost and we long for that sense of being close to the Father's heart. 
We have a grandson, uh, Judah, who's seven, and just recently his parents went away for a night, uh, and a friend came to look after Judah and his brother and two sisters, four of them. And Judah got a bit upset, uh, and uh, when Tim, our son, came home, he said, Judah, I heard you were upset while we were away. Why was that? And Judah said, Dad, I was homesick. He was sleeping in his own bed. He was in his own house. He had all his toys around him. But what he was meaning is, I missed my mum and my dad. And you know, I think at times our hearts are homesick. Homesick for the Heavenly Father, where we feel so loved and his perfect love casts out fear, where we feel so safe, where we see things with a fresh perspective. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us back to the Father's heart. I love that. These three images of the river that brings life, an explosion of life. The Spirit of God that goes into those dark places and brings healing and transformation. The Holy Spirit who leads us back to the Father's heart. And I want to ask, how do we uh, live with the life of the Spirit flowing through us? Uh, all of us as believers uh, receive the Holy Spirit, but the truth is we leak. And that's why we need to go on uh, receiving. And I would say, uh, firstly, every day invite the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit is a person, a he, and therefore relational and wants to be invited in. And early Christians used to say the most powerful radical prayer you could pray was, come Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the uh, former archbishops, uh, William Temple, says this, when we pray, come Holy Spirit, we had better know what we're about if we invite him we must be ready for the glorious pain and joy of being caught up by his power into the eternal purposes of the Almighty. In other words, anything can happen. And each day, I believe, as we say, come Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit prompts and guides us in all kinds of ways. Secondly, I think uh, if we are, are to host the presence of the Holy Spirit, we need to be those who uh, are walking in, in purity and, and repentance before God. There's a story told of two missionaries who went to Israel, and um, uh, they hadn't been there very long when they found that two doves, I think these were the white fluffy kinds, made their home in the rafters of their home. And they would hear these doves cooing, and they loved it. They loved their presence, but they noticed that whenever they slammed the door or raised their voices, the birds would fly off, and they didn't know if they'd come back. And they'd miss them, and then they find they'd come back. But the same thing happened. As soon as there was a, a loud noise, anything disruptive, off they flew. And this happened a number of times. And then they said to each other, you know, what we have to understand is that the doves are not going to adjust to us. We have 
to adjust to the doves if we want them to stay. And the Spirit of God says the same. We adjust to his promptings. And when we sense that the prompting of God is saying, you know, that wasn't right, we respond in repentance. I love Psalm 139, which speaks of God's great love, his knowledge of us. Uh, But at the end it says, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way and lead me in your path. This is a scrutiny of love. And it's saying, actually, that, that is harmful to you. That hurts you. And I believe that as we live in response to the Holy Spirit's promptings and walk in repentance and forgiveness, we then are welcoming at a deeper level the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. Um, And they they can be in all kinds of ways, as we said, stepping out in courage. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is drawn to courage. And when we step out beyond our comfort to give a word of encouragement, to do something courageous, to forgive a person, things will happen that we would hardly imagine. We were singing about it. And God is able to do things. We may never know it, But through our stepping out in the promptings of God, we will see those acts of transformation, the repairer of broken walls, the garden blossoming in a sun-scorched place, light rising in the darkness. I used to work as a chaplain in a medical practice, And I remember one day a man coming to see me, referred by his GP, and he has given me permission to tell his story. And he had been an alcoholic for 45 years, and his GP said, you haven't long to live unless you stop drinking. And um, I, I remember saying, how can I help you? And he said, well, I'm looking for some light at the end of a very dark tunnel. It was a dark tunnel. He'd uh, lost his marriage. He'd lost his relationship with his children. He'd had several good jobs, which he'd lost. Numbers of times he'd been found in the gutter and taken either to the local hospital or the local police station. His life was one of utter shame and despair. And I encouraged him to go to AA, which he did. But I prayed with him, for him, a number of times. And I hadn't seen him for years. Two weeks before Christmas, I got a text out of the blue. Someone had given him my number. And it said, Dear Annie, I was thinking of you, especially today, because today it's 15 years since I last had a drink and you introduced me to Jesus. And he said, life is so good now, thanks to you and my God. I couldn't bring that about, but I could pray. And then we leave it to God. And he works through us in ways beyond our imagining. That is the truth. I'm speaking the truth of God's word. And so I know many of you are already doing this, but I'm saying to myself as well, let's 
believe that what we carry is so wonderfully life-giving. Let's be courageous. Let's continue to be generous in giving it away because people want what we carry. The blessing of God makes us so rich.